But we're going to continue our, our sermon series today, as Steph had said, uh, a hopeful and a healthy church. And uh, we're really, we kind of soft launched last week into the first and second Thessalonians study. And uh, we didn't really set up a lot of context of these books and what they're about. But what I, what I plan to do, if you're new to these books, is really talk about that throughout the whole series. And the importance of what Paul is doing as he's interacting uh, with these believers. But why I think it's important for us to study as a church is that it really shows this kind of real-life slice of ministry. Uh, this church that just is barely off the ground, maybe less than a year, as uh, these new believers, and things are going really well because they're really understanding the, the big picture of what the church is about. And they're coming in uh, just completely removed from the church. You have this mixture of, of Jewish believers and some Greek believers, men, and, and it says there's many prominent women as well in this Greek society that it started this church and it's just this unassuming, we don't know uh, what we're doing here, but we're following the example of Paul and this, this blank slate ap- approach. And I think as a church, sometimes we have to take that moment as well, of just take a step back and ask the questions to ourselves, what do we exist for? What is our mission as a church? And how do we know that we're being successful in what we do? And I think it's a question we should ask ourselves continuously because we can get into these ruts, we can get into these traditions that we forget why we even do them or what we're even here for. And so really this, this message or this series of messages is not so much to build um, a strong theological background or all these sets of principles, but really it's to be uh, application heavy. And, and all throughout this series, I'm going to give you those light bulb moments uh, like we did last week, we'll talk about the verses, and then I'll show the light bulb. Like, this is the big idea, the application to walk away with. And I hope that we can really uh, apply these things into our lives, into our ministry as a church. And so someone joked last week, I'm really glad you have the slides with the light bulbs on there, because now it, it uh, is a cue for me of when I need to wake up and pay attention for that moment. Um, and I think they're half, half kidding, but... Uh, but I really want us to, to really take those, those um, application points throughout this whole series and, and walk away of really being a more healthy church than when we started. Uh, but today's, uh, today's topic is really about ministry and, and, again, why we do what we do. And we see uh, through these first 12 verses of chapter 2 that there is this ministry uh, that Paul and his companions came into uh, this, this city with of just, uh, just this passionate ministry, that there is this, this deep burden to serve God in all they did. And they had this, this fervor to really do everything God had called them to do. It wasn't really passive. It wasn't uh, this, this uh, machine that they've built to just create uh, this checklist of things, but there was this, this deep love for God and for people. And this, this belief that what they were doing really mattered and a commitment to see it out through the end. And so another, word, another way of saying this is that this was an authentic ministry. That's what we're studying today is ministry when it's clicking on all cylinders that is being done well. And it gives us this example of what ministry should really look like. Now, a lot of people take the text we're about to read and say it applies only to pastors, or missionaries, or evangelists. 
Uh, and I think you're selling this text short of what it really means. Uh, that certainly Paul was a pastor and an evangelist and a missionary, uh, but it's this, this set of principles that we understand that we can apply to us in, in, in no matter what we do as a ministry. And some of the most tragic words in the church is when someone says, I'm just a volunteer. I'm just a layperson. I'm just a Bible study teacher. I'm just a Sunday school teacher. And you start to limit yourself and, and say that my ministry is unimportant, that I have no real impact in what I'm doing, and I'm not equipped to make a difference because I'm not a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. But the reality we find throughout many of the scriptures is that every Christian is a minister, that everyone who has placed their faith in Christ has been given some kind of ministry that truly changes the world. And as we talked about last week, that, that God changes the world through the church one person at a time. And even if your whole life's ministry is to minister to one person, maybe a spouse or a child or a friend or a co-worker, that's no less important than the person who ministers to tens of thousands of people like the Apostle Paul. So today I want us to, I encourage you all to kind of get out of that mental trap saying, my ministry isn't important, that there's nothing real for God, uh, that God has for me to do, and know that there is an authentic ministry before you that's part of God's great uh, design for the church. And that you can approach it with this passion and this zeal for the Lord that's going to make it an authentic uh, and world-changing ministry. And so today through the text, we're going to see five major points that we'll, we'll uh, go through one by one. But first, uh, authentic ministry needs to be met with uh, a sense of persistence, that you keep going even when it's tough, that it is rooted in a love for others, that there is a commitment to honor God above uh, anything else, that there is um, a willingness to share your life with people, and then a desire to see those lives changed. So if you're not open up already to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to read that together. But let's just take a moment to really pray. I pray that God is going to speak to you through this text. Let's pray together. God, I, I do pray for us as a church as we look to be uh, more hopeful and healthy, that we be one where all ministries and efforts are, are firing on all cylinders, that we're uh, chasing after one goal, and that's to see you glorified, and that through that, uh, lives would be changed, and God, that every person plays a part and has a role in this. And I pray for uh, those today uh, who really believe that what I'm doing is not important that God hasn't equipped me in any special way, and that I really have no ministry. God, that you would take away that lie, and that you would replace it with the truth, and, and that is that through your power, that your, through your Holy Spirit, God, you work through every single believer, despite their own attitude, despite their own understanding, or despite their own past. God, you, you make people new. You equip them with your power to make a difference in this world and ministry. So as we all think about ministry, our, our ministry as uh, individuals, our ministry collectively as a church, that we would be filled with passion to love you more deeply, to love others, and to see the world changed, uh, that you would be working uh, through us in, in all things. So God, just speak to us today through these words. And uh, God, may we just walk away with many things that we can apply to our lives and our ministry that you call us to. And for this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
We read together now, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses. And so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each, other, with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, much like last week and throughout the series, we're going to just talk briefly about some of these scriptures and, and what really is going on and, and kind of illuminate for that you. And then, and then the second part of that is that point of application I want you to bring home. But in the first two verses, we see the point that an authentic and a passionate ministry has this persistence in the face of resistance, right? That you just keep going. And Paul talks about uh, what he had just been through in Philippi, what he had just been through in, in uh, Thessalonica, and then all of uh, the hardships he has faced throughout his, his ministry. But he kept going with the gospel. And really, through a worldly sense, you could say that Paul had failed. And we're going to talk about these two instances here. But he had uh, angered a lot of people. He was only able to stay for a short while, and he was kind of chased out of town. And most people would kind of raise up their hands and say, what was the point of all of that? But Paul is saying that he and his, and his partner's ministry was not in vain, that there were a lot of uh, results from that. He was really bold and relentless in his gospel. And I think if, uh, in, in, in preaching the gospel, and I think if I were in Paul's shoes, uh, I really believe I probably would have given up pretty quickly. And I think he probably struggled with it as well, but there's this sense that there's this power working in him, that there's a boldness that only God could give to fulfill the ministry. And that's this ministry lesson uh, for all of us, that as long as you are faithful to God and whatever you're called to do, that if you keep on going, your ministry will not be in vain, that there will be results. He speaks about being treated outrageously in Philippi. And this is one of the parts of the scriptures we don't have to kind of guess or fill in the blanks. Uh, in the book of Acts, it tells us exactly what happened, uh, both in, in Philippi and in the city. 
And in Philippi, he was there, as he did in many cities, on a second missionary journey, sharing the gospel of Christ, especially outside of the synagogues. And many people were placing their faith in Christ, Jews and, and Greeks alike. And there's people who are getting angry about this. One, one moment is when he drove the demon out of this woman uh, who was uh, making money for these people. Uh, people got jealous about that and started making false claims about Paul and his companions, tried to get them arrested and started this riot in Philippi. And as we know, Paul and Silas were arrested, that they were beaten really badly and they were put in this Philippi jail for an evening. And this is the instance where they started singing at midnight and then the, the jail kind of shook like an earthquake and all the prisoners could be set free. But he didn't use that as a, an opportunity just to escape town and get out of danger. No, he ministered to the jailer who was about to kill himself because he, he failed in his duty. And that jailer and his whole household were saved. And eventually what happens is, he, is he's met with the uh, dignitaries of Rome saying, okay, well, you're free to go now. Uh, so he's arrested without a real charge and beaten without any real reason. And they said, okay, now you can go. And Paul's saying all of this was a sham and illegal because I was a Roman citizen this whole time and it's illegal to do what you did. And they're kind of like, whoops. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, well, you are like seriously free to go now. And, and they went. It was one of those things that he left going, if this is how it's going to be everywhere, why should I keep doing this? All this kind of resistance. But he marches on to the very next place, and he starts sharing the gospel again. And now he's met uh, with great resistance from the Thessalonians for, for many of the same reasons. People are trying to make up these false charges with them. This is all in Acts 17. Make up these false charges and get them arrested. And, and some of Paul's companions and these new believers are arrested. And they, they are basically chased out of town after just a few weeks of being there. But the lesson in all of this is that it didn't deter him from the ministry that God had called him to. Even being uh, treated so outrageously and continuously in danger, he says, we still dared to share the gospel. Despite everything, he didn't alter the message or the ministry. And a lot of us would be saying, okay, this doesn't seem to be working. Is there a way I can alter this message? Maybe soften it a little bit? and say, yeah, Jesus is just one of many options. I'm just giving you some opinions here. And he stayed true to the message of God that was entrusted to him. And that's where we're going to read in a moment that he was approved by God after that test to continue going with what he's doing. But because of his persistence, this church that we're reading about today existed. It's because he stayed faithful to the ministry that he was called to despite the hardships. And I think that's the point of application for us today, kind of the light bulb, is we need to stick with ministry when it feels difficult and not give up. The reality is if you're facing obstacles, it could be a sign that your ministry is working. Because we're told by Jesus himself that believers should expect some kind of opposition difficulty, or test when you're faithful to Him. In a worldly sense, we would always view ministry as a failure if it meant taking the path of least resistance and making life as easy as possible. But for Paul and his companions, they realized this wasn't a waste of time. This is the ministry. And they knew it would be hard. They knew it would be unpopular. But they knew if they sticked with it, that seeds would be planted and the church would be built. If you stay committed 
in the midst of difficulties in your ministry. I think it speaks a stronger word for Jesus than always taking the easy route. I think that's why this church responded to the message of Paul, and they're seeing this man with a lot to lose by sharing this message, continue to share the message and do his ministry. And I think we're living in a world and a culture where it is much uh, more so, day after day, less socially acceptable to do the ministry of God. And some people say, well, that means we've lost the battle, we've lost the war, give up now. I say that prevents an even uh, stronger opportunity to minister to people. Because if they see you ministering in the face of difficulties, that means you've got some skin in the game. What you're sharing is so genuine and true to you that they are more inclined to listen. It brings a great opportunity to show this courage and persistence in the, in the, the face of resistance. And I believe this is why the persecuted church always grows. When you have these believers who stick with this ministry that God called them to, even in all these difficulties, it carries a stronger weight, the word that you share. That's so why I think God calls us to have a commitment to whatever ministry we're called to. To be willing to accept all that comes with that ministry, not just the joys and the glories, but the challenges and the difficulties as well. And if you keep going and persevering, the ministry will not be in vain. God will always make it work. The next point we see is that there's this selfless love for others. And I, I put both verses 3 and 5 together here. We'll look at 4 and 6 next. But I think they couple in the same ideas that many tried to discredit this ministry of Paul. But when he really made this ministry about other people first, that the results kind of spoke for themselves. right? He, he says in verse 3, that the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. And in verse 5, you know that we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. And if you read between the lines, I think what happens is when they're kind of chased out of town, all these opponents of them were starting to, to, to drum up these rumors of who they were. And there's a lot of false teachers, a lot of these kind of snake oil salesman type people where they come into town and they, they spread this great message that tickles the ears of people. They get what they want, which is typically their money, and then they skip town before they can be figured out. And there's probably all these rumors flying around like, yeah, Paul and Silas and Timothy and all those people, they were just like all the other people that came through here. So discredit what they said. But five times through the verses we read today, Paul essentially says, you saw for yourselves. You were witnesses of what we did. You know all these things couldn't be true. And he's letting his ministry speak for itself because he came about this ministry in not a way that he could build himself up or serve himself, but through his own expense and risks, he served others. And so the proof is kind of in the pudding here. He said that his teaching was not false. It didn't spring uh, from error. There's a deep conviction that what he said was true and that there was no personal agenda tied to this. Right? There was no impure motives. There was no trick or trap. Now, Paul and his team were the only ones that could examine their motives. But the people around them were the ones who could examine their actions. And here's a moment where they kind of spoke for themselves. 
He didn't use flattery either. That would be uh, what, what someone who is greedy would do. Flattery is really something uh, that's used for your self-interest. And you might pat people on the back or stroke their ego to make them feel good, but it's for the purpose of milking something out of them that you want. He didn't share these words with them just to make them feel good. He shared these words with them to save their very life. All of what he did was out of the selfless love for others. He wasn't greedy. Right? He wasn't saying these attractive words just to stir up their uh, passionate response that he could grab these, this, this money and, and leave town. This was a man and, and his friends who had absolutely nothing to gain by being there and everything to lose. That really is a true mark of love, that, that they were not there for what they could get, but what they could give. And I think that's a, a real good definition of ministry. It's not what you can get out of it, but what you can give to people. I think the application for us is that the moment we make ministry about ourselves, it's no longer ministry. The moment you make ministry about you, it's no longer ministry. It's self-service. And these were, this is a church that could believe Paul and his friends because, again, the actions spoke for themselves. And Jesus really does transform people. We're going to talk about that at the end of this sermon. And if he does that, I think one of the first things that should go is our self-centeredness. Right? Self-focus, self-pride, self-promotion. Any kind of self-centeredness is always going to kill the ministry you're called to. And if ministry becomes about you, your, your identity, your validation, then you're starting to veer in the wrong direction. It should always be more about what you can give than what you can receive. I always have a hard time in ministries that are built around one person. I think all of us are called to important ministries. And, you know, as a, as a pastor, I know oftentimes there is this point of kind of being on a pedestal. I'm literally standing above the rest of you right now, right? But I, I've always told Mandy and I've told anyone who, who asks me why, why you're a pastor, I don't feel like I'm called to be a pastor specifically. I believe in this phase of life that's where I'm in. But I'm happy to minister in any way that God calls me to. And if he calls me to be a janitor, if he calls me to be a Bible study teacher and work a corporate job, whatever it is, I'm happy to do that. Because I understand that I'm literally replaceable by tens of thousands of people. The ministry you're called to doesn't make you any more or less, any more or less important than anyone else. Ministry is ministry. It's about what you can give rather than what you can get. And no matter what level of ministry you're called to, I pray we all adopt that same mentality. The minute you make it about yourself, it's no longer ministry. I also see a commitment to honor God above people. And this is what the, the lesson was about today. That it's not about this idea of, uh, of trying to please people. Right, trying to uh, find a consensus and, and, and go whatever direction the people are going. And this is speaking about both people outside of the church and inside of the church. That when you are entrusted with the gospel, it means your boss is Christ. 
And he's the only one that you should be trying to please in ministry. And we can become so consumed with what people think of us that we try to please them first. But ministry should always be centered in honoring God and pleasing Him. And we see a couple of interesting uh, words used here that, that Paul and his companions were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And, and the word that's used here for approved is the same as, as proof. And this is, is really got connotations to uh, finding the proof of a precious metal, right? Like gold. And the way you do that is by putting it through a test. That you melt it down and through that kind of strain and stress, you see exactly how genuine this metal is. And that's exactly what's being talked about here. Is that God put them through a test. How faithful are you going to be to serve God first and not worry about pleasing people? Are you going to take this message and, and soften it and try to, try to uh, persuade people with your own reasoning? Or are you going to give them the pure truth of God? And they never compromised the message in order to win the approval of people. Because of that, God continues to entrust them with the gospel. And I believe the same is true for every single Christian who's called into ministry when we become an ambassador of Christ, when we're entrusted with that gospel, is who'll put you to the test. Are you going to try to please people and tickle their ears, make them feel good about themselves, or are you going to stay true to the message of God? There's obviously ways you can do that in a very graceful way and in a timely way. But if you start compromising the ministry you're called to in order to please people, you're losing sight of ministry. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart that there's one person to please in ministry. I'm not looking for praise from you, the church, or anyone else. He can't say it more uh, clearly than this, that commendation, compliments, you know, they may come. You can accept them uh, graciously, but examine your intentions. Why are you serving in ministry? I think that's what brings us to the point of application here. I'm going to read this a couple times, right? But what matters most in ministry is not what others think about you, but what God knows about you. Because He sees your heart, He knows your intentions. And really what others think about God. Are you giving them the true message of God? So what matters most in ministry is not what people think about you, but what God knows about you and what other people think about God. We talked about last week how reputation is important. I mean, you have to work hard to, to build a good reputation, especially with outsiders. But in the end, it's not about raising yourself up. It's about raising God up, about pleasing Him. Is anything less than that, if you're one who's just taking a consensus of the people, trying to move in the direction of popular opinion, and following the, popular, uh, the popularity ratings, it's, it's really uh, not consumed in the approval of God, but the approval of men. And that's what kind of turns the church more into a country club. Right? How does a country club exist? Pleasing the members who pay their dues. You can start to think we need to, to please our members so we can exist, you're forgetting about who the great boss of the church is. But when it's working well and we're all serving Christ first, then naturally we serve each other in the right way. Ministry is about pleasing God and not people. 
When we understand that, it's actually very liberating in ministry to recognize that, that God is the only one you have to please. And I was told early on uh, going into ministry, you're not going to please people. And the harder you try, the more you'll fail. You have one person to please in ministry. We also see, you know, when we, when we serve people, when we share the message, it's not this hit-and-run activity. I was really sharing your life with people. And sometimes we get so consumed in the, quote, ministry that we forget about the bold and capitalized ministry, what we really need to do. And I was joking with uh, Pastor Chris this week, talking about this topic. You know, we, we can think of sharing the gospel sometimes as just having like this Bible gun, where it's just like, you know, shoot the, shoot the message everywhere, and then you get where you need to go, and then you can just leave. And we forget that along with a message, sharing the message is, is really sharing your life and being there, caring for people. And we see this example of Paul, who could have just easily come and, and passed out tracts and then left town and just hoped that they were okay. But he has taken this moment to really live among them, to care for them and to nurture them, to, to laugh with them, to cry with them, to really help them along into this new life in Christ. And he uses a, a wonderful example here that, that just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Now, I... Uh, I, I've experienced this, the, really the differences between how a mother and a father uh, might approach parenthood. Now, I understand that all of life is, is built with problems and solutions, right? And nothing in between. So you, you determine the problem, you create the solution, and then it's like, what's the problem now? Like, just get over it. That's how many, how many uh, fathers may approach things. And, and I really learned, you know, growing up with, with a crying toddler or even an infant, you, you check all the lists, everything's filled, and what could be the problem? And I, I come to this point of frustration, and I see Mandy, the mother, caring, and they're there. It's okay. And there's this moment, like, I'm going to stick with you through all of this. That's a beautiful metaphor of what ministry should be like. It's not just problems and solutions, right? It's living with this tender compassion and this mercy to see it through. And that's really how Jesus did his ministry here with us, right? He could have just, from heaven, just told us everything to do and then just kind of lived spatially. No, he lived here among us. And he could identify with us in that. In Hebrews 4, that we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. Jesus was able to minister with us because he even shared his life with us. We see this great gentleness and this patience that even though at times, like a mother dealing with an obstinate child or an unmanageable toddler, there's this understanding that, that they haven't reached the full maturity yet. And you're, you're seeing these inconsistencies and these struggles as they develop. But he's stuck with them. And you recognize that these Christians are not yet grown up. And rather than just dealing with them in an authoritarian matter, as he could have as an apostle, he chose patience and tenderness. And that's a great lesson for all of us as Christians. Because we're not always patient with new or young or immature believers. Sometimes we just cut this mold of what they should look like. They demand, we demand that they fit it. And instead of this approach, we need to see each individual as a person, 
their needs for help, and their, the ways we can encourage them along the way and share our life with them. It's not just sharing the gospel, as he says, but sharing your life as well. And the takeaway for us in ministry is to remember that ministry is not just a set of principles and processes. Right? It's centered around people. People. Ministry literally means the work of the people. And it's work by people for people. We share our lives with one another. And that's really hard to do because it's, it's, by all metrics, life is busier now than it has ever been. Right? We're seeing an increase in everything. The amount of hours people work at jobs. We see a 300% increase in uh, mothers, uh, dual-income families, mothers who are working. We see uh, just a huge increase in, in, in sports and hobbies and the things you get into. And I've kind of semi-ranted before you know, fourth grade softball schedule is busier than a collegiate season. It's just crazy how busy life is right now. And so our natural tendency is to hold on to everything we have for ourselves and not give any of our time. And it might be a, there, there, it's okay, but then you go on your way. And you have to protect your time. You have to minister to your family first. Okay, I'm not asking anyone to sacrifice their own family for any kind of ministry. Your family always comes first. But you also have to ask yourself, am I giving time in addition to the content? Am I sharing my life with them? And, and myself, I struggle with this. I've had a lot of those kind of tire screech moments where I realize that I'm, I'm so worried about doing the, quote, ministry that I'm missing the ministry. I'm so consumed in preparing for the meeting and preparing the sermon and doing all the logistics that I forget there's, there's a hurting person that I just need to go spend time with. And for all of us, I think there's that reminder constantly is share your lives with people. It's not just principles. It's not just processes. It's sharing your lives together. And that's not the end goal. I think that's where these last couple of verses are really important you know, it's not just about serving people or spending time with them. It's not about meeting needs. It's really about seeing lives changed through Jesus. And we see this part now where he gave the illustration of the mom. Now he's talking about the father. And this is really important to understand the cultural context of what's happening here. And we really saw that a lot of this, this uh, culture is about trickling down into the generations to create this heritage, to create these legacies that you would, that you would invest in the kids. And especially the dads were the ones responsible for, for how their children would, would turn out. And everything they've built in their lives, their, their faith, their, their occupation, would be given to the kids with this expectation of, I've modeled for you everything I've learned, and I hope you can learn from my example. Now, I want to do everything I can to empower you to do it better than me. That you would grow on everything I inherited from my father, and that my father inherited from his father. What a beautiful way to look at the church and ministry. To know it's not about what I've done for others, but what I can equip others to do. That that's the ultimate goal of the church. And so that's where, just as a mother nurturing their child, we see this father investing into their child, encouraging, 
comforting and urging them to live lives worthy of God. Knowing that through all of it, God calls you into his kingdom and his glory. That now we're living for something greater than ourselves. We're living for Jesus. And I think the application here is that we should never lose sight of the ultimate goal of ministry. Transformed lives through Christ. And not just making their lives better now, making it more enjoyable. It's about making lives different for eternity. That only Jesus can do that ministry. That he can make a dead person alive again. And that's the ultimate goal of our ministry is to celebrate that among ourselves and to see more lives transformed in Christ for eternity. And Paul didn't walk away from this church after a few weeks and say, you know, we had a lot of good potlucks together. That was, that was, a, that was some really good ministry. And we do fun things as a church, right? We have the potlucks and the softball games. The kids have slip and slide, kickball. I think we even had a BB gun range set up in our basement a couple times. Right? All that stuff is fun. Right? And it's, it's good for fellowship to build these relationships with each other. But we can get so caught up in what I call the ministry machine. That we, we have these processes and these traditions and all these things that we call ministry that may be a part of ministry, but it's not the goal of ministry. And that can cause this sense of just being overburdened and distracted, and it really loosens uh, the, the effect of ministry as a whole. You have to ask ourselves, why are we here? What is our work, and how do we measure success? Success for the church in every ministry in the end is seeing lives transformed for eternity. And there's many things that work together to make that happen. I think we lose sight of this often. And, you know, as we, as we see Satan as the great opponent to the church, he doesn't really care um, what we're distracted by, what we're divided by. I don't think he cares if we're arguing about, oh, the church just isn't working because I don't like the music or I don't like the way so-and-so dresses or the color of the carpet. Right? There's been mountains of ideas of how people have been divided and distracted in the church. But I think what Satan's grand ploy is is to help us lose sight of the ultimate goal of ministry, to see lives changed, to see them saved through the power of of the life and death of Jesus. That's it. That's the goal of ministry. And I think as we, we conclude here, we, we think about all these five things, right? This, this persistence, even when it's hard, this selfless love for others, making ministry about what you can give rather than get, this commitment to honor God and please Him first, willingness to really share your life with people, and a desire to see those lives changed forever. All of these things work together for effective ministry, as we see this great example of Paul. And we're tempted to say, well, that's, like, that's Paul, though. That's the Apostle Paul who wrote like half of the New Testament. That's his, his companions. Those are the, the apostles and those with this great power. That's not me. That's them. And we forget who Paul was. And so we let our own circumstances, our own past, and our own perspectives limit what God can do in us. Paul was an enemy of the church. 
He called himself the chief of sinners. He had no reason to be doing what he was doing and doing it as well as he did. But as he said in the text today and many times through the scripture, it's not me. Now, I can't take any credit for this at all. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. It's the same power that can work through every single one of us. That there is effective, authentic, life-changing, eternity-changing ministry inside every one of us. You just have to remember the power, the source that lies within you as we work together in that effective, passionate, authentic ministry. Don't do this on your own. Trust in the power of God to do it through you. Let's pray as we close. God, we just thank you again for entrusting us. And I, I pray for all of us in, in whatever ministry we have. I, I pray our gears are kind of turning. Now, what is it you've called us to? And it looks different for, for all of us. But whether it's the ways we minister to our own children or our spouse or our co-workers or the organized ministries we're called to lead in the church, God, I just pray all that would be done through the principles we just talked about today. That it's not about us, it's not about our desires, it's not about uh, pleasing people, but, but pleasing you. May we just trust in you. May we serve you first as we serve each other. And God, may it all be done with one great purpose. Uh, not just to entertain ourselves or have fun, but God, this is truly the difference between heaven and hell for people. That's the ministry you've called us to, is to share the gospel, that lives can be transformed now and forever. So, God, just continue to empower us and, and inspire us. And, and I pray that this would not be daunting for anyone, but that we would know that through you, God, miracles happen. And it can happen in us as well. So, God, shape us, form us, empower us to be effective ministers in your name. Amen.